Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So the way we do our talks at this church uh, normally is that we start with a story or, um, normally a story, let's be honest, um, which is related to the main themes of the talk. Um, so the only thing that I could think of that was most relevant to what we're saying today is a book I read earlier this year. It's also been turned into a Netflix drama called One of Us is Lying. Now, like all the best art that have ever existed, it's an American high school teen drama. Um, um, and I really enjoyed it. And so go with me on this. Um, it starts with one of the characters, a guy called Simon, um, being killed in mysterious circumstances. That's the opening scene. And it turns out that the five other students at the school who um, he was in the room with when he died, he had a secret for every single one of them. He had like their deeper secret, which they didn't want anyone to know. And the rest of the story, the rest of the series, the rest of the book is like a murder mystery where you're thinking like, could one of them have killed him? Like, did one of them... Like, was one of them so bothered about their secret not coming out that they killed Simon to make sure it wouldn't come out? Or was um, there another explanation for it? Now, it's obviously an American high school drama, so it was very over-dramatised. Like, did they kill Simon so, because he was going to tell everyone that she cheated in a test? Hopefully not. Like, probably not. It's a bit, you know. But it was, but it was engaging, and I still enjoyed it, despite the unrealistic nature of it. Um, because I think it, like, captures, like, a deep, feeling within all of us, at least within me, of like, I don't want my secrets to be exposed in front of everyone. I don't, I don't like, no one, I don't think anyone, but certainly I don't like being publicly criticised. You know, I feel like that's just not what anyone wants. And no one wants their, like, secrets or something which they feel guilty about to be publicly accused in front of everyone else. And so whilst we like, and so what would, and that's the setting there, and how that's related to today's talk is that the reality of it, as much as I don't want um, my, my secrets to be publicly laid out in front of people, certainly things that I feel guilty about or whatever, and before God, there is no such thing. Before God, God knows all our secrets. God knows every single situation that we're in. And the story we're looking at today is a set, it starts with a setting where there's someone who's standing in front of God and they're being accused and they're being criticised and they're being told all the things that they've done. And so that we're looking today at a vision from the book of Zechariah. So we're going through a series right now in this Bible book of Zechariah, and we've got to Zechariah chapter 3 in today's story. And Zechariah um, was a guy, he was a prophet, he was someone who would send, tell people, the people of God, messages from God. And um, at, this was at the time in the people of God's history, so the people of God at the time were the people of Israel, and it was a time in the people of Israel's history when they were very, very low, when they were, they'd just returned back to Jerusalem, and it was a ruin. It had been destroyed about 70 years previously, and they'd just been given permission to go back and start resettling it. And as they were there, um, they're living in tents, they're feeling really inadequate, they're trying to build their nation, but compared to all the nations around them with their cities and their walls and everything like that, they were probably feeling very low. And one of their leaders was a guy called Jeshua. He was the high priest of the people of Israel at the time. And um, Jeshua 
in our story today, when we're talk, we're, the focus is around this character of Jeshua. But really, he's a representative of the people of Israel. He was the high priest, which meant that before God, he brought all the people before God. So when we're reading Jeshua here, what we're really reading is the people of Israel. And by extension, the people of God throughout history. So that's you, that's me. Um, when we're thinking of Jeshua in this story, he's, he, is, he was the high priest at the time but it's also ourselves. And we're going to start this, um, the story of Zechariah 3. I'm going to read it. So if you could find Zechariah 3 in front of you, it's also going to come up on the screen behind us. And we're going to read the whole of Zechariah 3 together. So this is Jeshua standing there, and he's being accused in front of God in a public setting. So Jeshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then the angel, no, not Jeshua chapter 3, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. I'm getting confused. There you go, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the angel showed me Jeshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Now, Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Jeshua and said, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I'll let you walk among these others standing here. Listen to me, O Jeshua the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon, I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Now look at the jewel I've set before Jeshua, a single stone of seven facets. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. Now, the book of Zechariah starts with a series of different visions. Now, a vision is like a dream or like a a picture, which we often would call it a picture in this church, something which God shows to this prophet Zechariah, which has a meaning, which has a message for the people of Israel at the time. And this vision is in Zechariah 3, and it culminates um, in verse 8, which it talks about the branch. Now, each of these visions, which we're looking at in our Sunday services last week and in the next few weeks, um, it fundamentally is about Jesus. Whilst this was written 400 or 500 years before Jesus came, um, this, these stories point to Jesus, and they're selling, telling a message about Jesus which applies for all of us, for God's people then and God's people today. And the vision we have here is Jesus as the branch. So that's what we're getting to, and that's the climax of this story in verse 8. But before that, we're looking at this passage, and it's split up roughly into two different sections. First section is um, verses 1 to 5 which is this, uh, is this scene of Jeshua. It's Jeshua standing in these filthy clothes and what happens to him. And it's what God does for him. And that's the first bit in verses 1 to 5. And then he gets clean and God does amazing things to him. And then verse, the next section, verses 7 to 10, are what the effect of that is. So what comes as a result of it and all the amazing promises that come from the transformation that's happened to Jeshua. So we're going to start by looking at this section, verses 1 to 5. And it should just be on the screen behind me for most of this. 
um, as we go through it. So I would, I'm just going to make a lot of reference to it, constantly be jumping in and out of the passage. So if you have it in front of you um, for reference, that'd be really helpful. So let's just set this scene in verse one. It's a vision. Obviously, it's not a literal story that exactly happens, but the vision, the dream that Zechariah is seeing has a few characters in verse one. So you've obviously, obviously got Jeshua himself, who we've talked about. And then you've got Satan, the enemy of God and God's people, who's called the accuser here. He's accusing Jeshua of all kinds of things. There's also God himself, which in my version is called the Lord. And um, Zechariah himself actually says a couple of things in the passage as well. He's there. And there's also one other character, which is the angel or the angel of the Lord. And scholars who um, have studied the Old Testament um, believe that when the angel of the Lord is used in this context, that just means Jesus. So that's Jesus before he came to earth as a man. Um, when it says the angel of the Lord here, that's referring to Jesus in this vision. He's, he talks to Zechariah and to Jeshua, and he's um, speaking um, as God in his role as Jesus. Um, so that's, um, that, so that's the um, context for this happening. And what is happening in verse 1 is that Jeshua's standing there and Satan is accusing him. Now, we don't know what he's accusing him about, but you can imagine the vision. Verse 3 tells us that Jeshua is standing there in dirty robes. And you can imagine, and Jeshua says nothing. Throughout this entire passage, Jeshua, who's the representative for us, the representative of God's people, he says nothing. It's just Satan and then God. And Jeshua's standing there in these dirty robes, standing in front, and Satan's standing off to his side, accusing him, telling him, probably telling him how bad he was, how weak it was, how no one loves him. All, I don't know what it was. But you can imagine Jeshua standing there in dirty robes and the people of Israel feeling really low and feeling like, yeah, this is an accusation. And I don't know if you feel that way or if there's, is that something which resonates with you. I think it's certainly a picture. We think of Jeshua as being a picture of us or as God's people. I think it's certainly a situation I've felt myself in at times, and I think most people have felt themselves in at times, when they feel like their identity is just being accused. When they feel like whether it's from Satan or whether it's from yourself... There's things that are being said to you which you can't shake off. When you feel like you're just in dirty robes, completely inadequate, and you're standing in front of God and you're like, I have no idea what is going on. And, and, it's so, and there are, might be situations in your life where you're feeling right now like you, 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 oh, you're Joshua. You're standing here in these dirty robes accused, whether it's something you're, a sin which you're holding on to and you feel like that's just your entire identity, or whether you've been a victim of something and something's happened to you and you just feel like you can't shake it, or whether you just feel really low self-esteem and feel like God doesn't love you. I don't know if these are situations you might be feeling. I don't want to project um, and say that you are, but I know this is something which, in the Christian life, as we go through the Christian life, these are times that we do go through. And what God's saying to us in this passage is, um, is what he says to Jeshua from verse 2 onwards. Um, this story is great because it's not like one of them films where like, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and then 10 minutes before the end there's suddenly a resolution and everything happens. The resolution happens in verse 2. And then we've got amazing like eight more verses of promise and great stuff. It's like the resolution happens, the plot twist happens in verse 2 here. Satan stops talking after verse 1. God starts talking and then Satan says nothing else. So looking at, let's look at verse 2 because verse 2 is where God starts stepping in and everything suddenly starts to this upward curve of amazing change. So verse 2, um, God goes and talks to Satan and says he rejects Jeshua, the accusation. He rebukes Satan and he uses the picture of saying that Jeshua is like a burning stick snatched from fire. So Jeshua is about to be burnt up. He's about to be destroyed in the fire and God just rescues him. That's the value God puts on his people. That's the value God puts on all of us. He's willing to reach into the fire to rescue Jeshua, to reject Satan's accusations. It says he, he rebukes Jeshua. Now, that word rebuke just means to like express... No, not he doesn't rebuke Joshua. Rebuke Satan. There you go. Um, and 
God rebukes Satan. And the um, word rebuke just means like, to express disapproval, to like, express, like, it's often we use in the context of a parent when a child's done something wrong and the parent's not happy. They'll just have that little sign or that little statement saying, oh, don't do that. I'm a teacher, I'm a school teacher, so I've got my teacher looked down, I think. You know, I, I, the rebuke of a student who's disapproving, like, you know, you just you give them that look, and you know, that's, that's basically what God does to, Je- to Satan, not Jeshua, to Satan here. Satan's talking, giving these accusations to Jeshua, and then God just looks at him and goes, don't say that. I'm not listening to it. I rebuke you. And Satan says nothing else. That's what God does in this situation. That's what God does for his people. God re- re- rejects the accusations. If you feel like you're being burdened by these accusations or something which is overwhelming you, what God wants to do, he doesn't want you to see that as your identity. That's not how he views you if you're one of his people. That's not how he views any of us. God has a message and he has a promise where he rejects these accusations. And he's the one in charge. But not only does he reject the accusations, the next few verses, verses 3 to 5, is he does something as well. He doesn't just shut down Satan. He also transforms Jeshua and changes Jeshua's sin for righteousness. So that's the main message of verses 3 to 5, this next bit of this scene. Jeshua's still standing there. He's done nothing. He says nothing. He, he's just standing there, but God is doing amazing things to him. Um, and so in this passage, you can see that Jeshua's transformation is huge in verses 3 to 5. He's dressed in these filthy clothes, and then he, God goes, now nah, take those off. I'll give you some fresh clothes, and he gives him a turban. It's just absolutely wonderful, this amazing transformation that God has. And I think it's really similar to the fairy story of Cinderella. And I think there's a lot of parallels going on here. So bear with me and we'll go through it. So Cinderella, I don't know if you're familiar with the fairy story of Cinderella. Cinderella is this girl who's um, taken advantage of by her sisters, starts off, she's wearing dirty, the story starts, she's wearing dirty clothes, she's looking rubbish, she's feeling, um, and she's just being asked to do menial jobs for her sisters who take advantage of her. Jeshua starts here, dressed in dirty clothes, being accused, feeling really low. Then, out of nowhere in the Cinderella story, the fairy godmother turns around, no, turns up, and transforms Jeshua, uh, not Jeshua, transforms, I'm getting mixed up now, transforms Cinderella, and she gets amazing clothes, she um, gets all amazing riches, she looks great. In this story, it's the, not just the fairy godmother, it's real God who shows up, and God transforms Jeshua, gives him amazing clothes, makes him feel um, really great, gives him lots and lots of blessings. In the Cinderella story, that means she's then worthy to go to the ball. She's able to turn up to the ball, dress in these amazing clothes, and just walk straight in because she's dressed for the part. She's ready for it. She can do it. In the Jeshua story, you'll notice in verse 5, is it? Yeah, verse 5, that um, Zechariah says, give him a turban. That was the symbol of him being a priest. He, he was a priest. Jeshua was a priest who wanted to serve God. And the priestly turban was what they wore as they did the sacrifices for the people. And so in the Cinderella story, she was able to go to the bull. In this Jeshua story, he's able to go into the temple and serve God. He's worthy now to walk straight in because of his amazing clothes, because of the way in which God's transformed him. He can go in for, for his purpose. I think there's one more parallel. This one's a bit more tenuous. But in the Cinderella story, it ends with her marrying the prince. And... In the Jeshua story, <laughs> Jeshua here is a, re- this is tenuous, but go with me. Um, Jeshua is a representative of God's people. He's a representative of God's people of Israel. He's a representative of God's people today, including us. And one of the images used throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, for us as God's people, um, is that we're the bride of Christ. 
That's where it is. So uh, God's people throughout history, including Joshua, eventually one day the image and the vision of the future is that we're going to be so united to Jesus, the prince, that we're going to basically be as if we're married to him. And that's the vision that we have in the future. And I'm just going to read a verse from Revelation uh, 19, which is one of the last, ver- the last chapters in the Bible about this. And um, the verse in Revelation 19, 7 to 8 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And the image there, that, when we think about that, we're the bride of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're the bride of Christ. This image of new clothes, making yourself look worthy, making yourself look beautiful, is in that passage as well. You're going to be given fine linen and bright clothes to be that united of Christ ultimately. It's an absolutely wonderful picture, um, which this image of Joshua being transformed in his clothes points towards and links towards. Before we move on to our second point, I just want to make one comment on verse 4. So I'm just going to go back briefly to verse 4. And this comment of um, what God says to Joshua um, as he takes his clothes away, as he um, strips all the dirty clothes off and gives him new clothes, God says, see, I have taken away your sins. Now, when God rebukes Satan's accusations, he's not saying, oh, no, they're lies. Joshua doesn't, doesn't sin. You know, when we feel things, I don't know if you're feeling negatively, like sometimes they're based on truth. I know I've sinned and we've all sinned. We've all done things that are wrong. But the beautiful thing is God doesn't ignore that. He doesn't like just go, oh, yeah, I pretend that, that doesn't happen. God takes that away. That's what God did with Joshua. He took away Joshua's sins. He takes away the sins of his people. That's the later on in, the, in verse 7, um, this men- it's mentioned that this is done through Jesus. It's done because of the, uh, Jesus coming. And that's how God takes away the sin. I think verse 8 actually um, takes away the sins of the people. But I think that's something that is just to remember and to hold on to. As followers of Jesus, if you're feeling overburdened, if you're feeling overwhelmed with sin, God has taken that away, or He wants to take that away. It's not like it's not there. It's not like it doesn't exist. It's not like you're a perfect person or, and everyone else is perfect except you. God knows our weakness. And it can be really hard when you're feeling inadequate and you're feeling weak to go into God's presence and go, look, God, like, I need you to transform me. But that's what we have. I'm not saying it's an easy fix. I'm not saying just read your Bible and magically God's going to you know, transform. You're going to feel really great and it's going to be amazing. But what I am saying is in the walk of the Christian life, God has the answers So if you're feeling really overwhelmed and overburdened by sin or anything like that, turn to God because he has the answers. There is hope there. And go into his presence, talk to him. Read the Bible. There are so many amazing promises throughout the Bible in passages like this where God steps in and transforms you. Um, Transforms his people, by extension, you. Um, And there's also, you know, if we come to God, talk to other people, pray, pray, um, pray to God and pray with other people. Coming to God... Again, I'm not saying it's an easy fix. I'm not saying the second you pray, suddenly you'll just feel everything amazing. I mean, I hope that happens. That'd be wonderful. And that's what we pray for. We'd love miraculous transformation in this church. But it doesn't always work that way. But what I am saying, if you're feeling like you're scared to go to God, or you're feeling like, oh, I'm really overburdened with this, go to him. He wants you to, you to come into his presence. He wants to transform you the way he transformed Joshua. And that's what he does throughout history, to his people then and to his people now. And the passage doesn't end there. The passage doesn't end with this transformation. I think that's beautiful. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we can focus so much on like, oh yeah, God's transformed me. And just leave it at that point. And actually, 
God has got a purpose for Jeshua now. God's, there's the effect of this. Second section of this passage from verses 7 to 10 is what the effect of this transformation is. God is not just telling his people, look, you're going to be changed. But he's also saying there's lots and lots of effects of it. And that's what verses 7 to 10 are about. There's four verses here, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And each one of them has a really important truth, application, or challenge for us. And I'll just briefly look at each one in order, because each one has got a lot of value, a lot of really important things to be thinking about. And as we do this, I want you to hold into that your mind, the fact that you're transformed. The fact that this transformation has already happened to Jeshua. God is not speaking to dirty Jeshua in verse 1 in this, in this section. When Jesus, the angel of the Lord, starts speaking solemnly to Jeshua in verse 6, he's not talking to the Jeshua of verse 1, he's talking to the Jeshua of verse 5, with a priestly turban in his head, with clean white clothes, who's worthy to go into God's presence. And that's the situation we're in. That's the situation we're in when God transforms us. So verse 7. I'm going to read verse 7, and then we're going to think briefly about it. So verse 7 is a promise. It's a promise from God to Jeshua, saying, if you follow my ways and you carefully serve me, you're going to be given authority over my temple and its courtyards, and I'll let you walk among those standing here. God's got a purpose for Jeshua here. Jeshua's been transformed. He was the high priest, and God's now saying, look, I'm going to give you authority. Other versions put it really highly. It's like, you're going to be ruling my house, and you're going to be taking charge of my courts. It's a wonderful image that God's got a purpose for Jeshua. And, God, and, that's, and I think that's great. I don't know what your vision is of heaven or the heavenly kingdom, but we're not just, like, God's got a job for us to do. God's going to help us to be working for him. God's going to be using us in his heavenly kingdom. And that's an amazing image, because I think that's what, as people, God's created us for. I'm a school teacher, and I've got five weeks of holiday coming up, and I'm really excited about it. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to complain. It's great. But I can tell you that in about four weeks' time, I will be quite looking forward to going back to work. Because work is good, and because I like that routine, and because it's good to be doing things to help other people and to be serving. And that's what the kingdom of God is. God's got a purpose for us. He's got a purpose for you. And if you've been transformed, if you're uh, someone in the kingdom of God, um, God's got a purpose for you. For Jeshua, it was the purpose of being a priest in that heavenly kingdom and going into the temple and having authority there. Um, Being a priest in this temple. Not the heavenly kingdom, anyway. But, um, that's what's, but that's the purpose for Jeshua, and God's got a purpose for you. It's not obvious immediately sometimes for all of you what it is, but talk to God, have a conversation with him, pray to him, because he does have a purpose for every single one of his people. That's the main message of verse 7. Verse 8, I think, is possibly the most important verse of this entire passage. Because I've done a lot of talking so far about Jeshua, when by extension he is you, he's me, he's God's people. But really, this whole passage isn't ultimately about Jeshua. If we read this passage, it says, listen to me, Jeshua, you're symbols of things to come. Soon I'm going to bring my servant the branch. That, God's saying, look, Jeshua, so far I've transformed you, it's been great, but you're ultimately only a symbol of things to come. I don't know how you view your Christian life, but sometimes I think like, I can view my Christian life as being all about me. Being like, I should, I should serve God because it's good for me. I should go to church because it's good for me. I should read my Bible because it's good for me. I should help others because, you know, God's transformed me. And don't get me wrong, none of that is, none of that is false. But none of that is ultimately what our Christian life's about. The, Jeshua's life, Jeshua's purpose was about the branch. He was the symbol of the branch. And that's, as we talked about right at the start, the branch here is a, metaphor, is a message for Jesus. That's Jesus coming. The Old Testament talks a lot about Jesus as the branch to come. And Josh Jeshua is a picture of that. And us in our lives as Christians, we're here 
Um, we're Christians, because, like ultimately not for ourselves, but for Jesus. That's why God's changed us. That's why God saved us. And that's why we should be following after him, to bring glory to Jesus, to point people as symbols to him. It's a real challenge to me, I think, that Jeshua is said to be a symbol to Jesus um, because Jeshua is a picture for all of God's people. And when people see my life, do they see me as a symbol of Jesus? Do they look at my life and go, oh yeah, I can see Jesus through that? It's a real challenge for all of us, I think, um, in this. And verse 9 and 10 are following, so that's verse 8, and then verse 9 and 10 are two more images we're going to talk about really briefly about um, what happens in Jesus' kingdom. So after Jesus has come, after Jesus has brought this transformation, at once Jesus has come, there are two amazing promises which God makes in verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 is this random image that we can see that God says that there's a jewel before Joshua, a single stone with seven eyes or seven facets. It's a bit random and it's basically, in Zechariah chapter 4 actually talks a bit more about it. And so that's a symbol of God's presence. So Jesus coming brings God's presence. And God's with us now. We know that's the case. The Holy Spirit's with each one of you. And that wasn't, at the time, that wasn't the case. The Holy Spirit wasn't with the people of Israel at this time, 400 years before Jesus. And this was a promise for what's happened now. The promise made then was that God's presence would be in this earth, that the Holy Spirit would come. And that's an amazing promise for each one of us. And in verse 10, there's a beautiful image which we're going to finish on. Um, and it says, On that day, the Lord of heaven's armies says, Each of you will invite your neighbour to sit with your, you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. Remember, the people of Israel at this time are living in tents in a ruin. Each one of them... Have, probably can't even like have a single crop. And God's saying, look, every single one of you is going to be generous enough to be able to have your own grapevine, your fig tree, and be sharing it with your neighbours. Now, it's a vision. I'm not saying that's not a literal promise. And it's not like, I'm not saying if you become a follower of God, you will, God will give you a grapevine and a fig tree, specifically just that. No, but it's an image of the future yet to come, that actually in God's kingdom, there will be blessing. There will be beauty. There will be so much wonderful things that are happening. This, I think, this, I believe, is a promise yet to be fulfilled. A promise that of the future, that in God's ultimate kingdom, he's going to bring so much prosperity and goodness that every single person is going to have a vine or a fig tree or whatever your equivalent is in modern day society. Um, and that's just a wonderful image to hold on to. There's been, there's been a lot in that passage. So I'm just going to put, uh, put, bring us back to the start as we close. Remember, this passage has ended on a beautiful image of people sitting under a vine, under a fig tree in a peaceful land. But it started so far from that. It started in a chaotic place where Satan is shouting accusations at Jeshua. He's dressed in dirty clothes. He's looking filthy. And yet it ends, after it all, because of the amazing transformation Jesus has brought, we get to this beautiful image of the future where there's going to be prosperity, peace, and generosity. And so I bring it back to that start and ask, if you feel, and mention if you feel like you're verse one Jeshua, if you feel right now that's who you are and you feel like you're overburdened, you've come into church today feeling like, oh, I just don't know, you're feeling like you're being accused on every side. I ask that you turn to God because he does have the answers. Read more of the Bible. Pray to him more. It's not going to be, an, I'm not promising an easy fix. I'm not promising an immediate, like the second you walk out of here, you're going to be changed. But I am saying if you're a follower of God, God wants to transform you and God wants to bring his presence to you. And I ask that you turn to him. And as we hold on to that, live in the light of it. Live in the effects of God's amazing transformation.
Um, verse 7, serve him, follow, your pur- follow his purpose. Verse 8, remember it's all about Jesus. Verse 9, enjoy his presence, the Holy Spirit's with you. And verse 10, and look forward to the prosperity. Praise God for the fact that goodness is going to come. Let's live in the light of that.